Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, shall be, world without end. Amen. When our Lord taught the apostles to pray, he first taught them in Matthew's Gospel how not to pray, how not to offer up sacrifice. Don't do it ostentatiously. Don't do it so as to get attention from people. Be confident that your Father in heaven hears your prayer. Go to a secret place to pray. Close the door, he even said. He also commanded us to worship and to do this in memory of him. And so our gathering in prayer and divine worship isn't in contravention of our Lord's instructions to pray in secret with the doors closed. In fact, early Christians did just that when they gathered for the Sunday Eucharist. They closed the door. They, in fact, locked it. The only people who were permitted in were those who were believers, who were baptized, and who were practicing the faith. St. Justin Martyr makes that very clear already in the year 155. If someone was not a believer of all the teachings of the apostles and not duly baptized and not in fact observing these teachings of Christ, they weren't permitted to come. They certainly weren't cast out and forgotten uh, hopefully they would be reconciled with the church, but they weren't permitted to attend. Being here meant being in a secret place, doing nothing to get public attention, nothing for notoriety, confident that the Lord hears our prayers. And so in that vein, I, I would like you to appreciate not only our origins, but the prudential wisdom of the fathers of the church, by which I mean the holy fathers, the popes, who consented to the holy mass being observed at first in part by outsiders, just the first part. As soon as the veil would come off the chalice and the second part of the holy mass would ensue, those who were not believers baptized practicing the faith, they would have left by that time. And then even centuries later, permitting the entirety of the Holy Mass to be observed by anyone and everyone, so long as they don't cause a ruckus or do something illegal. And it could very well be that the sacred mysteries being observed, even by our friends and visitors, neighbors, makes it more conducive to their entering into these mysteries and joining us and becoming believers of all the teachings of the apostles, receiving the sacrament of baptism, and remaining faithful and living a life in harmony with our Lord's teachings. It probably is the case. But there still is a great deal to be learned and even something to be 
uh, something to be mourned of the way in which the divine mysteries have been celebrated. Instead of encouraging you to wrap your brain around a different uh, ethic of how to come or how to dress for mass or how to pay attention, let me offer you one thought. And that in and of itself might trigger its own uh, reconsiderations. Our Lord taught us to pray, Our Father. And no doubt you've considered what this means. We're not just simply praying as individuals, isolated from each other. We pray to our Father. We pray as a, as a family. All of us who are incorporated into the body of Christ are praying together. And we pray for each other. And we're confident that everyone is praying for us as well. It's beautiful. This communion of saints is something that is hard to, um, to describe to people who don't have that consolation of knowing. That we aren't simply lost individuals trying to shout to God, hoping that he hears us but we have already been incorporated into Christ and are part of his family. We are part of the church and we are never alone. But I wonder if you've thought of the Our Father in light of this mystery that we celebrate today on the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. Certainly, you've read the Gospels. If you haven't, you should. And you've heard our Lord pray to his Heavenly Father. You've heard our Lord speak of his Heavenly Father. You know that it is his mission on earth to do the will of the Father, to reveal everything that the Father wishes to be revealed to us. And it is goal, his goal that none of us be lost and we, that we all be brought back to God the Father. But take that added step and realize that when we pray our Father, we're not just praying as a group, we're also praying with Jesus to our Father. God the Father is the Father of God the Son. God the Father is the Father of Jesus Christ. And we are praying with Jesus when we utter the words, our Father. God the Father is God the Father of the third person of the Holy Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. When we pray our Father, we are praying with the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit praying through us to his Father and our Father. And we utter the mysterious words, our Father. This isn't just something collective and consoling. This is something deeply mysterious. In fact, I hope it scares you a little bit. We are inside the Trinity when we pray through Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are participating in the life of the Trinity when we dare say, 
our Father. What happens here is nothing less than the earthly experience of what happens in heaven. Participating in, listening in to the conversation between Jesus Christ and his heavenly Father. It's as though we are the angels and the saints who have the eternal privilege of seeing this glory and love unfold forever. And so then, it's not a stretch for me to suggest that we might think of our assembly as a monastery or as close to a monastery as we can get. And certainly there will be visitors who come in and they, they hope for something hopeful. They yearn to see something beautiful. They, they're looking for a reason to come back. And we hope they find it. We really do. But this isn't the big fish, or this isn't the big net, casting out, hoping to drag in fish. That's your work of evangelization. Those are our works of charity trying to encourage people to come and explore and discover the Christ, come see the Messiah whom we found. This assembly is utterly tedious and meaningless unless we are deeply inserted in the mystery of Christ and pray every day and study and think about the teachings of Christ and in fact are living them out. If that isn't what we're doing internally and externally, then what happens here is really strange. It doesn't make any sense. But if that is how we live internally and externally, what happens here touches us deeply in a way we won't ever find happening anywhere else. We'll catch ourselves closing our eyes and listening to the words of sacred scripture, and listening to these songs, and sometimes even singing, al singing along with the words that come from the lips of angels, we'll realize that we're privy to, to a mystery that is beyond our reckoning. That our ears are witness to the miracle of bread and wine changed into our Lord's body and blood. And that we hear, just like the apostle did at the Last Supper, we hear our Lord pray and pray and pray for us. Pray for our well-being, to pray for our unity, to pray for our perseverance. Knowing that if we remain united and remain united with him, that will be a miracle. That in and of itself will prove to the world that what's happening here is true. to be as united with him as he is with the Father. And so I encourage you to pray. Pray deeply every day. It doesn't have to be forever. Pray deeply for 15 minutes. If you already do, pray deeply for 30 minutes. If you already do, pray deeply for maybe an hour if you can, but even if you're so busy that you can't, be confident that your Lord, your Father, hears your prayers. And that deep prayer for a half hour every day, or even an hour every day, that will change you day after day after day. 
And you'll realize that what's happening isn't just some individual effort, some little self-improvement program that's unfolding. You'll realize that God is working on you. God is soothing your heart. And whatever problems come up, they're problems that, forget about calling them first world problems. These are, these are problems of the redeemed, problems of the justified, problems of, of people who are on their way to heaven. How can anything be awful when we are on the way to heaven? And then when we're gathered, or gathered as a family at home, or gathered as a family in church, then our little prayers, our, our little candles become a bonfire. What happens here is amazing. A billion people in the Catholic Church worshiping God, hearing these words and praying. And even the larger communion of those who are with us but not in full communion. Two billion people on the face of the earth praying to our Father. When these thoughts bring us into church, we are already consoled. And we know that there are things that we worry about, things that we think we need, things that other people need, and they are in our hearts. But we're here and we're still. And we're quiet. Because we're in the presence of God. Imagine if Moses with all of his reverence in the presence of God revealed, knew what we knew, knew what we know, and hear and heard and saw what we hear and see. He would probably explode. St. John Vianney, the patron saint of Paris priests, even said, if we understood fully what happens at this altar, especially through the priesthood, our hearts would explode with joy and gratitude. And so this isn't about flagellating ourselves because I should have been thinking about this or this should have occurred to me already. This is about opening our eyes in wonder and awe and gratitude at a mystery that has always been here, like a father who has always been watching over us. And most of the time we've been asleep and occasionally we open our eyes and fall back asleep. And then one day we'll open up our eyes and we'll see him for who he truly is, whom he has always been, and we will be with him forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.